Good day, everybody. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. This is Front Row Knowles and KJ. I don't care what it looked like during the game. I care what the scoreboard looked like after the game. And the scoreboard says FSU just won at Florida and finished their season 12-0, and a regular season. When everything is said and done, Tommy, that is the only thing that really matters. Now, we're going to talk about eye candy, and we're going to talk about how it looks, and we're going to talk about positioning and all those things that are going to go into um, the possibility of Florida State qualifying for the, um, for the playoff. But the reality is, and the thing that will stay with us forever, is 12-0 and in uh, second consecutive year of a state championship. So let's think about that, by the way, just to – because 12-0 and doesn't come along very often. Florida State's been playing football for a long time, Keith, although not as long as Florida and and everybody else that competes at this level. But your team in 79, it didn't go 12-0 and because you didn't play 12 regular season games then, but you went 11-0 and until you got into the postseason. And then you fast forward, and the, the 96 team was 11-0. and The 99 team got to 12-0. and and then 13-0 and in the bowl game. And then you're talking about 2013, 14, and this year. So really, in terms of regular season, this is the fourth time it's been done in FSU history. It's pretty remarkable. It is. It's rare. It's very rare. And that's why it's so, so important. Uh, and we'll talk about this more in just a second. But so important that the fact that you've got undefeated teams, that the, the playoff committee has got to consider that when they're comparing against one-loss teams. Not saying that that's the sole determining factor, but the difficulty of going undefeated, and I don't care who you're playing, uh, has got to be a feather in Florida State's cap. We can get to the playoff discussion later, Keith, but quickly, I do think it'll be really funny if the unbeaten teams that are left win. In other words, Michigan wins out, Washington beats Oregon again, Florida State wins, and Georgia wins. You know why? Because there's four unbeatens, and those are the four that are going to be in the playoff, and none of this discussion we've been having for the last several weeks matters about the one-loss teams. The committee just won't go there with four unbeatens. I hope you're right. I fear, and it's just me being my curmudgeon self, but I fear there's going to be some uh, uh, something that comes up. Uh, let's hope not. Let's just hope not. Well, let's get back to that later on. All right, the game certainly – it was everything that if you're Florida, you would have – that's the way you would have scripted the first half of that game, at least the first 25 minutes of the of the ball game. Everything seemed to go Florida's way. But that's to their credit. I mean, they, on their first drive in particular, I think they were four for four on third down conversions. And a couple of those were nice throws and tight windows. I didn't think Florida State's coverage was bad. I thought the backup quarterback made some nice plays. And then Florida State forces a missed field goal. You get into the second drive, Keith, and I don't know. Every week I say I'm not going to bring this up, and then I bring it up. So would you like to bring up the egregious circumstance that unfolded as Florida was stopped and sacked on a third down play that would have forced them to settle for a field goal? Well, once again, I think, I guess, there's an ACC rule that says you cannot tackle the quarterback too hard or that becomes a personal foul. There was no foul. And here's the bigger point, Tommy. We talked about this last week, and I haven't been in the officials' meetings because I don't attend the ACC kickoff like I used to. But the center judge threw the flag on that one, okay? That's not his job. The referee 
is supposed to be watching the quarterback. Center judge is supposed to be watching the left-hand side, the guard, the center, the center of the guard and the tackle. That's not his call. If you go back and look at any of the videos that have been posted, which I did because I got that kind of time, Coach Norvell and that center judge got into it. I have never, I have never seen Mike that upset. I, I, I thought he was going to get tossed. He was so in that guy's face, and that guy just turned around and jogged away. Because in my personal opinion, he knows he made a mistake. It was not his call. He should be reprimanded. And if the ACC doesn't, it goes back to that systemic problem that's associated with the officiating in our conference. Yeah, I'm trying to not hammer the refs, Keith, but there's no way around it. That's as bad a call as I can remember. I mean, it was it was just terrible. And it didn't and materially it didn't materially hurt Florida State, and and they ended up winning the ball game, and you know it adds to the discussion. I get all that, but. You, you just you you just can't continue at this same pace you know, under this same format and have any credibility. No, and I was it's the sidelines are tight at Florida, so I was in the end zone. Literally, as it turned out, I mean, Akeem Dent was in a straight line from where I was to the quarterback, so I saw he was going to blitz. And I, I was thinking, well, I wonder if they're going to pick him up. But they didn't adjust at all. He comes completely clean between the guard and the tackle and crushes the quarterback on a legal hit. And I don't and, – and that that gave Florida four points. It gave Florida four points because they were going to have to kick a field goal. Instead, they got first and goal at the two, and they scored. Right. I mean, four points is not insignificant. Not in rivalry games, not in games of this uh, stature. You're, you're absolutely correct. And uh, it's just unfortunate. It's gone beyond – getting upset. I think Mike got that out of him. Coach Norvell got that out of him. Uh, he, he only used the word terrible one time in his post-game uh, press conference. Um, but my goodness, I, I have no explanation for it. It just, the thing is, Keith, and we've made this point time and again, time and again, in the ACC, because Doug Rhodes said it, the officials have been the same for years. They subscribe to it. The ACC probably teaches it the same way still. I haven't gone to one of those meetings in a while. When in doubt, throw a flag, which is why you see penalties like that. Everybody else is when in doubt, swallow the whistle. But in the ACC, we're going to sit here forever and do that. Unless until it changes. Unless and until it changes. All right, so let's move on from that, Keith. Where would you like to go next? Uh, Well, just three observations. When When the game ended... I thought to myself three quick things. Number one, that is as raucous a crowd as I, I wasn't there personally, you were there, but that's as raucous a crowd as I've ever heard on Florida field. Number two, home crowds love safeties. When the defense starts scoring money uh, uh, points, whether it's a pick six, a a scoop and score, or or in the case of the Gators, a safety, that just gets them really into it. And thirdly, Florida State not looking good, not playing with precision, a lot to clean up. But that drive, that 89-90, 91-yard drive at the end of the first half to score that touchdown took that crowd out of it, and Florida State answered. And that, to me, is probably the biggest uh, takeaway. I don't, I don't think anybody else, you know, I, I, know, I, I know Florida State defensively had a bunch of sacks and 
And I know Florida had, what, 40 or 50 total yards in the second half. But that drive, I think, epitomizes what Coach Norvell and this squad is trying to build. And it was an unbelievable answer. Well, that's the thing that Florida State's been able to do all season long, Keith. And that didn't change last night without Jordan. When they needed a drive, they got one. They got the ball with 4.02 remaining before halftime at their own 10. And what they did, the running game had done nothing at that point. But that was the the first play off the 10 was the first time they ran counter all night to use Florida's aggression against them. And they have not been a great counter team, but I talked to Trey Benson about it. They ran it a couple times on that drive, but the first one went 16 yards and it got them out of the shadow of the goal line. And then they moved from there and, and uh, worked their way down the field. But more than the X's and O's, Keith, it seems to be the heart that we've talked about all year about this team to get that done. And I, this, this team just believes to a man, it doesn't matter what the circumstance is, that they're going to respond. It's what Norvell preaches. And they did it again on that drive. You know, and we've talked about, and, and I don't know how many of our listeners uh, share this this thought. I've I've had it occasionally, but because of that workmanship, that workmanlike approach, there's been some, myself included, that says, can this team ever really get excited? Can they ever play with that extra intensity? Are they just going to go out there and be very methodical about what they do? Um, so far, they've been very methodical, and it has worked very well for them. As a side note, Keith, and I'm sure TV showed this. I know they did during the broadcast, but Jordan Travis was at the game, which was pretty remarkable. And he set up shop on the bench before the game started. And I thought to myself, I mean, there's about five yards, maybe a sideline at Florida Field, right? I'm thinking there's no. Very tight. I was watching, uh, this is an hour before the game, and I'm thinking there's no way that he can sit there during the game. So I was relieved when I heard they were, he was going to be in A.D. Alford's box because there's just nowhere to go in that situation. But after and they, the and game, they showed him several times during the ball game up in the box. Yeah, yeah, and he was there with his brother Devin. And, uh, I mean, Jordan was as positive as always. But after the game, he had made his way back down outside the FSU locker room. And every player, and I mean every player on the team, turned right out of the line into the locker room and went the 10 yards over to hug Jordan and have a word with them. And it was too, it was, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it in terms of, there wasn't a person that said, I'll, I'll catch him later. They all deviated and went over and uh, gave him a hug. And and then Jordan went in the locker room afterwards. I mean, it just shows how much they love the guy. And uh, you know, and he was positive, you know? Yeah, that the, the bond, uh, I mean, I was having conversations last week with, with Bobby Butler and Gil Wesley, you know, 44, 45 years after we played together. That bond is remarkable. You you probably don't appreciate it, or at least fully appreciate it, while it's being developed. But as soon as you leave, its importance um, is is you can't really explain it. You can only experience it. Uh, and um, and I'm glad to hear that. And it doesn't surprise me in the least. I'll tell you one other part about this bond, also, Tommy. And you'll never get a single kid to to uh, admit to this. But I'll just use Trey. Uh, Trey finished the game with 19 carries for 95 yards. He had the hat trick, three touchdowns. But the first two or three times that Trey Benson touched the ball, he was trying to do too much. I mean, that's that's the love he has for Jordan Travis because he said to himself, either consciously or unconsciously, I, I got to do something special because there's no way Trey Benson turns back around and loses 12 yards on a, on a rushing attempt. You follow me? 
I do. And Trey, he owned that afterwards. I talked to him after the game and asked him about what did you say to Trey? I mean, to to Tate to settle him down. And they said, well, I, you know, we just told him he needed to calm down. And he said, I needed to calm down. And he referenced the first run of the game. He knew it himself. Trey is the guy. We, we can go to Trey right now. He is the guy, Keith. I don't think he realizes how talented he is. He's got so much speed and power, and he's a guy that needs more than five or six carries. If you get him to the 15 carry mark, he's going to start breaking some long runs. And he, I mean, he scored three touchdowns against Florida last year too. He's got six touchdowns in two games against the Gators. He said it in the post game comments with Holly Rowe. The the Holly had he and Jared together. Uh, which was was really remarkable, uh, the camaraderie the two of them have. And normally that doesn't happen with offensive and defensive players. You know, normally you gravitate to your side of the ball. But he talked about uh, that, you know, he, he did, they didn't get things going, they didn't get things going, didn't get things going, but they knew if they kept after it, something would break, something would open up. And that's exactly how the game turned out. Side note, six touchdowns against Florida in his career and four against Miami. So in two years, he's got 10 touchdowns against Miami and Florida. Keith, you think those teams are tired of seeing Trey Benson? I, I, I know I'm going to be wrong on what I'm fixing to say, Tommy, but obviously I don't think there's been another running back or a wide receiver that has scored that many touchdowns. And it, it's only a handful of quarterbacks that have thrown that many touchdowns in, in two seasons against uh, those two teams, I would suspect. Yeah, I mean those are those are pretty remarkable numbers. Let's go back to to Trey. That the so big picture. I mean to uh, Tate. Big picture on this game, Keith. This, and this falls in line with Florida State responding when it needs to. Florida was leading twelve nothing, and the rest of the game was twenty four to three. I mean that's still what FSU has done against everybody this year. Is that kind of run? The one thing that surprised me, I felt like when Florida State after grabbing the lead in the third quarter. I thought they – I don't want to say they were going to cruise, but I thought they would pad the lead there and it wouldn't take all the way into the fourth quarter. So I think you got to credit the Gators. But FSU had that drive to take the lead and then had two or three poor drives in a row before they got back down there. Um, I, Tate was inconsistent. I mean, there's no question about that. I didn't think his receivers helped him. Johnny dropped the ball that would have kept the drive alive. And when they had to settle for the field goal, the one that went through Keon, Keon was leading the country in fewest drops. He was one of a couple of receivers that had no drops officially on the season. And that one sailed right through his hands. And I'll tell you what that one was, KJ. That one was simply Tate's fastball has more heat on it than Jordan's fastball. Keon was there. He saw the ball. He put his hands up. And then the ball was right through him. And he looked at his hands. And, and there's no question that was just a velocity thing because he hasn't worked with Tate as much. To me, that's what I saw. I don't know what you saw in the replay. I, I would agree. And here's the other part. And, again, this is a conversation that you have with Mike Norvell uh, next June, you know, uh, during during the one week or one, one five-day period that he gets uh, with he and his family. I, I didn't think the play calling – I think I think – they will do a different job of play calling and what they select as plays against Louisville as opposed to against Florida, particularly when, when the crowd got into it and particularly when Florida State got behind. I thought, I thought Coach Norvell got a little conservative. I know that our listeners would say, well, wait a minute, he called a fake punt. Well, that, that's not an offensive play. That's, that's a, a, a special teams play. I just didn't think they trusted – 
uh, Tate enough. I think he's fully capable. I think if they put him in the situation, he'll he'll be just fine. But I thought there was a little bit of a conservative bent. We don't want to put him in a bad situation and make it worse. I could be completely mistaken, but that was my my initial take on it. No, I think you're right. Part of that was field position. You know, Florida State. Oh, yeah, there was a lot of circumstances why. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, Florida State has been a team this year that even when things haven't been perfect, they've been very good situationally. And offensively last night, they were not good situationally, meaning that they couldn't convert third downs. Now, defensively, they, they did a nice job. But I, I think you're right. I think they were conservative because they didn't want Tate to turn it over, which kudos to him. He did not turn it over. That's that's maybe the best statistic this team has going for it is how – they lead the country in fewest turnovers, Keith. And they just went into Gainesville with a guy basically making his first start. I mean, I'm discounting he started the second game of his career four years ago. He doesn't even remember that, right? Correct. Really, really it's his first start, and they didn't turn it over, uh, which I think is remarkable uh, for FSU to continue to do that. It, it's it's one of those things that you can only wish for. You don't really expect it to happen. And and I don't know about you, but I'm kind of going back. The first thing I did is I couldn't remember any fumbles. I knew there wasn't any interceptions. I couldn't remember any fumbles. Um, but at some point, you think in a game like that, you're going to turn the ball over a time or two. That's just the way it goes. Well, and the other the other way, Florida State had the game-stealing interview, interview interception by Deloach. I did interview him after the game. But Shaheen Brown dropped an interception, and there was also another ball that Akeem Dent stripped out on the sideline. So, I mean, Florida State's defense was close to getting three turnovers in that game, uh, but did get the one to seal it at the end. How about these stats? I don't know if you've looked at fourth-quarter statistics only, KJ. Florida State outscored Florida 10-zip in the fourth quarter. The Gators averaged let – me, let me find the number here. Where is it? Negative 1.7 yards per play is what Florida averaged in the fourth quarter, Keith. Well, like I say, somebody texted me late last night. I think Florida's total offense in the, in the third and fourth quarter was something like 50 yards total. Uh, but, yeah, negative yardage in the fourth. And I was looking at the drive chart before we got started. Uh, there, there were five, five of the last uh, eight possessions that Florida had were three and outs. And one of them, i.e. six of the eight, was the Deloach interception. Right. I mean, that's some – that goes all the way back to the second quarter. I mean, that that's some pretty stout stuff. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to hear the asterisk about it was Florida's backup quarterback, right? You know, it is you, – you play who's over there. And how about this? Pearsall went into the game. He's been their best receiver in – a decade and a half, he needed maybe 50 yards to get to 1,000 for the season. Keith, he had one catch for 19 yards and didn't get to 1,000. I mean, and, and he, ran, he ran wild or, or caught wild against FSU last year. And, and I know our listeners might be a little shocked by what I'm fixing to say, but I hated that for him. I mean, he, he is a gr- gritty, tough uh, – he's a guy that I don't like, and I don't like him because he's productive. And you you referenced the game last year. Um, there, Florida hasn't had a thousand yard receiver, I think. I think in twenty one or twenty two years. And so there's a part of me that wishes he'd have been able to get that. Yeah. Did Did we mention, by the way, that Florida's not bowl eligible, Keith? 
Uh, that goes without saying. I think all of our listeners already are aware and know that. Here's a note that Jeff had last night before the game. Florida's now had three losing seasons in a row. It's the first time that's happened since 1945, 46, and 47. Which, if you know your Florida State football history, which you do, you know that FSU started its program in 1947. So what I'm saying is that in the entire history of Florida State's football program, this is now the first time the Gators have had three straight losing seasons. How does that one sound for you, KJ? Again, I learned, it was later in life, but I learned that you want Miami and Florida to be having great years and great records uh, when you play them. So that when you defeat them, the rest of the nation acknowledges uh, that. However, growing up in Florida, playing in these rivalry games, uh, even Tim Tebow, they interviewed Tebow. He was being recognized for his induction into the National Football Foundation uh, College Hall of Fame. Even Tim Tebow, in his interview with Holly Rose, said, we don't like those guys. And I don't know that Tim Tebow doesn't like anybody. Yeah, that's a good point. But that's how that rivalry goes. And, um, yes, love that, that Florida is not bowl eligible but recognize that uh, if they'd have been, you know, eight and two or nine and one or, you know, whatever mathematically would have been after 11 games and you beat them, then you don't have the worries that maybe you're going to have come Tuesday when the selection committee starts evaluating, you know, uh, is, is Ohio state a one loss Ohio state team really better than an undefeated Florida state team or whatever other conversation you want to go to. Do you want to jump to the playoff now or just keep pushing that down the line, KJ? I say we wait till Wednesday to do that. Let's just enjoy beating the Gators. Yeah, I agree. That's a that's a that's a great thing. That's a that's a good plan. I will give Florida credit. Between the first and the second quarter, you mentioned Tim Tebow. They recognized their Heisman winners. So in one end zone, there's Spurrier, Tebow, and Danny Warfel all at once. And that got the crowd just a little juiced, as you could imagine, to have all three back. And, and I've thought this since the first time I was down there. I don't know what year they started playing it when Tom Petty passed. <clears throat> but the third and fourth quarter uh, with won't back down is pretty cool. I'll give them credit for that. It's a, it's a pretty cool scene. Uh, organically is a bad word to say it because I think they just played it the week after Tom Petty died and it was a hit. And now they do it between the third and fourth quarter. And uh, that part is pretty cool. But what's really cool is when the clock hits zero and your team has more points than their team, Keith. So that's what I'll remember about that one. That's always the divining line. That's always the the the, the item that you look at, and, and that's the one that matters. Uh, our listeners have heard this. You've heard it. You and I have talked about it. I've said it. But there's been, you know, wide right one, wide right two. There's been too many pretty losses to worry about an ugly win. Yeah, exactly right. Um, my other line is click it in Keith, but I'm going to ignore that one right now. Uh, I'm doing this on my phone. Hey, offensively, uh, the one other thing I think we need to salute. How about that possession catch by Ja'Kai Douglas that kept the drive alive, Keith? That was that will not be remembered in the annals of Florida State and Florida history, but that was a pretty big time catch. It was, and I'll tell you something else that that uh, Ja'Kai has done. He's he's been limited. He's had injuries. 
Uh, he's, he's had to play with Keon and Johnny uh, and, and Bell. Um, but if you look at the totality of his catches, and he may only have 30 or 40 career receptions. I, I haven't looked it up. But, Tommy, he probably has the largest percentage of key receptions at a key time as anybody I can remember in the last 25 years. I think you're right about that. We could go back and chart them, but for a guy who's had so few catches, there's several that stick out. So you're right on that. And and him in the slot when you got Johnny and Keon outside, Keith, I mean, it's the same thing if they don't have the slot and they have the tight end in there. It's just to pick your poison if you're the defense. I'll say this, KJ, they got to hang on one more week and beat Louisville. And I'm I'm much more confident they're going to beat Louisville than I was going into Gainesville. Uh, Louisville emotionally is going to be reeling after they laid an egg against Kentucky there. But that aside, I'm not convinced. I haven't seen the spread on that game. I'm not five saying and five and a half. Five and a half. Yep. I'm not saying Florida State can't lose. I just don't think they will. If you can get that game, get to 13 and 0, you finally get a couple of weeks for some of these guys because they. Norvell doesn't talk about it, but this offensive line has been banged all year. They're, they're just a – I know everybody's beat up. This team has some key guys that are beat up right now. they got to make it one more week. Well, and we've talked about it. There's some kids that are playing that, that have some nicks and, and bruises and those types of things, wide receivers. I, I've said all along that there's been weeks when Benson's been in there that he has not been 100%. Um, and, and again, that, that's part of the game. You, you have to, the old adage, I don't know what the new adage is, but you, you sometimes have to play hurt. You don't have to play injured, but sometimes you do have to play when you're hurt. Uh, and getting some um, bumps and bruises healed would go a long way. And I agree with you. I, I'm disappointed that Louisville lost because I would have liked to have seen the ACC championship game be uh, two top 10 ranked teams. I think Louisville is number 10 in most people's estimation. Um, that would go a long way towards credibility and, and people paying attention. Um, but, you know, again, it's a Louisville team uh, that is, is playing a lot of emotion. And as you mentioned, it'll be interesting to see how they respond to that very, very disappointing loss to their rival. And then, of course, them playing under first-year head coach and, and you know, trying to figure their way and do their things the way he wants them done. Uh, I think it's going to be a pretty good matchup. I think it's going to be a very entertaining ball game. Yeah, I, I think it will be. We haven't given uh, the de- anything else on Florida State's offense, Keith. We need to talk defense for a little bit here. Again, just the communication issues and, and the, the, the um, types of plays that Coach Norvell and Coach Atkins are comfortable having Tate, um, um, you know, look at and then we we have no idea tommy because uh, they won't talk about it appropriately so but we have no idea how big a difference it made at the line of scrimmage if if jordan had been in there and was checking plays and go into different things because i'm sure pretty sure they had tate on a very very short lease in terms of changing things at the line of scrimmage well and that may be the answer because it didn't feel like it was mike's best effort from a play calling standpoint but we don't know what we don't know correct and he's a pretty good offensive mind on that. I, I personally thought the tight ends were going to have a huge game, but we really didn't. Th- there weren't many passes that were six, eight, ten-yard passes. There were some deeper balls, and and that was about it. I, I just thought the seams – I thought we were going to feast on the seams, but 
Uh, didn't really do it. Had the, Bell had the one big catch, but uh, other than that, I mean, it was it was not the you know it's not what this Florida State offense can be. But I feel like we've been saying that for a few weeks, and now it's changed without Jordan and it's Tate. So hey, go ahead. to interrupt you, uh, we've been saying this for twelve weeks. We we have said we have not seen this Florida State's offense perform at the level we know they can. Yeah. Yeah, and, and some of that is offensive line. Some of that maybe that means that's what this offense is, Keith. You know, could I, be. I I don't know, but uh, but but certainly Tate is is not as comfortable as what Jordan is, and you got you got to be fair to Tate. Now he doesn't have a lot of games to to improve, but how about Alabama's quarterback when he played his first two games of the year and Saban benched him for another game before he got back in and turned into what he is right now. There's not that many games left for Tate, but I don't think we can look at that and say, oh, Tate can never turn into anything based on one game. I, I still think what Tate's issue is confidence. He, he's got to get more confidence because he's got a good arm, but when he's afraid to let it go, then you put some balls in harm's way potentially. But let's, let's switch and talk about the defense, Keith, because the two guys on the edge, particularly number five, made some money last night. You know, Tommy, uh, and, and, and it's been talked about, and, and in fact, um, the, the, the commentators, you know, uh, Kurt and, and Reese talked about, you know, people have looked at Jordan's, uh, excuse me, Jared's numbers and said it's been a down year, but not people that know. People that know, that have watched him on tape, understand that this has been a better year for Verse than last year. He's improved. Uh, and solidified his stock. The other thing that's helped him is is number 11 on the other side. And, and the third thing that's helped him is number 55 in the middle. I think, I think, I think, is it Brandon or Braden? I can never get his name right. Braden. 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 I think that guy, you talk about most improved player. We talked about Jordan Travis from freshman to senior year is most improved ever in the history of Florida State football. The most improved player on this team, game one to game 12, is Fisk. There's no question. I'm looking at the defensive numbers right now. Yeah, he's been tremendous. By the way, Keith, if Florida State wins this week, well, regardless of whether they win or not, they can go to a bowl game or if they go to the playoff, Daryl Jackson comes back. And Daryl Jackson, there was talk that he may be the best defensive tackle on this Florida State team. So think about mixing him in and what the possibilities would be, not just for the tackle rotation, and we can talk about this w- when it comes to fruition. I really think that that his return will allow you to potentially move Fisk or Briggs outside to help the defensive end rotation too. But however they use him, you're going to get a guy who's fresh, who might have a better high-end ceiling than any of the D-tackles they're playing right now. That will be nice. And, and will be very – Shall I say it again? Very motivated. <laughs> I uh, I shorted Jared Verse here when I, we were talking about turnovers before because I forgot he forced a fumble too in that game. So Verse had six tackles, three for loss, two and a half sacks, and forced a fumble. And there's a video clip, Keith, which you've probably seen, where he sort of uses his speed to kind of try and turn the corner on the tackle. And then he just flat out bull rushes him and pushes him right back into the quarterback for a sack. I don't recall seeing one like that. That was unbelievable. Well, I questioned 
just to myself when I was watching it, does he get credit for the sack? Because I'm telling you, based on what I saw, and I didn't see a replay, I just saw the initial play. I don't think Verse touched Brown. He literally shoved that offensive tackle, which outweighed him by about 70 pounds, someone said, into the quarterback and knocked the quarterback down. I don't yeah. think I don't I don't think Verse ever actually touched him. That's remarkable. It, it was unbelievable. Patrick Payton was tremendous. Whole defensive line, the, the defense as a whole. After really after the first quarter, the defense pl- played lights out. And Keith, the time of possession at one point in that game was like twenty-two minutes to five or something. I mean, it was it was well, unbelievable. Florida how State had the ball. Florida State had the ball three plays in the first quarter. Fastest it, first quarter I can remember. Yep, and at one point Florida had run twenty-one plays and FSU had run six. So I remember as we went from the third to the fourth quarter, Florida had the ball. And I think they got the ball back time for one snap in the third quarter. And I looked out there and it was the backup defensive ends. And it was the second straight series that the backup DNs were out there for FSU. And I thought, what is Fuller doing? And then I realized the quarter expired. And when Florida got to second down, which started the first quarter of the fourth quarter, there were there was Peyton and Verse back out there, and so it was it was the Leonard Hamilton move to take a guy out and let him sit for a little bit longer through the TV timeout, right, and then put him in. So then they force a punt, and that's when FSU went on the drive that ultimately they had to settle for a field goal. But that was a five minute drive, six. It was the longest break, I think, the longest drive FSU had. So it was the longest break for the defense. By the time they were back on the field, it was mid fourth quarter, and they were fresh. And Florida had no chance at that point in the game. I mean, the rotation, the way they've done it, it's been questioned at times this year, Keith, but those guys were fresh and they ate last night in the fourth quarter, especially at the end of the game. Yeah, that drive was five minutes and 58 seconds. And if you go back and look at at some of the other drives, uh, a minute 23, a minute 20, uh, two minutes and six seconds. Um, I mean, there were some times that Florida State put their defensive unit in, in some difficult situations just in terms of rotation and rest and those types of things. There's no question. You know, we've gone this whole time, Keith. We haven't even talked about the safeties. Let's give some love to Akeem Dank. We only brought him up in reference to the egregious penalty flag that came out that shouldn't have that wiped a sack off of his stat line. But really what FSU did after the first two possessions, Keith, looked to me like they brought a – they brought an extra body every play, and it, it generally was the safety. I don't know if they wanted to use the linebackers or were hesitant to because they were worried about, you know, leaving a gap open for the run game. But they brought Shaheem or Dent almost every play against Florida, and, and that's when the Gators just had – they just couldn't protect. They couldn't block it up. How about a bigger picture observation, Tommy? Uh, you, you begin the season, Akeem's playing relatively well, and then he gets hurt. And what happened to the defensive performance uh, during his absence as compared to what happened to the defense when he returned? Yeah, at the time, we didn't give enough credence to that. But we knew going into this year that depth at safety or lack of depth was an issue for Florida State. Turned out to be true. When Akeem missed a couple games, that's when the secondary was in disarray. Disarray might be too strong a word, but that's – 
when they struggled against Boston College, had some issues against Clemson. And since he's been back, they've, they've been pretty stout back there. I, I will say depth is still not where I'm sure Adam Fuller would love it. But if you got Shaheem and Den out there, you're in pretty good shape. Knowles has struggled, and, you know, the 50-yard run Florida broke off just before halftime. Conrad Hussey was in at safety and took a bad angle, and, and the back gets free for 50 yards. So that's, that's still an area, if I'm the opposition, I'm looking to exploit based on the numbers I see there in there at the safety position. But Akeem Dent is not the one you're going to exploit. He's had a really good year. Well, and, and him being in uh, as well as Janarius, uh, you, you, you're comfortable blitzing them. I don't know. I didn't blitz a lot. And of course, you know, it's 50 years ago when dinosaurs were roaming the earth. But it is, it's, it's an uncanny type of thing. When you come free like that, the quarterback doesn't have to do a, ho- a whole lot to make you miss. I mean, how many times have you seen linebackers, corners, and or safeties come free, unblocked, right at the quarterback, and then the quarterback ducks, goes left, goes right, and they just whiff or they get a hand on them and can't get them down. You know, there's a little bit of an art as well as the, as the mechanics, a little bit of the art of being able to stay under control and actually convert the sack when you come free like that. It's not, it's not as easy as it appears. I've whiffed um, several times uh, in the past, and, and obviously we whiff a lot right now, but uh, it can happen. KJ, we've gone this whole time, and – we haven't talked about Florida's behavior. I'll put it that way. First of all, William Floyd was none too happy and talked about the unwritten rule in football when the Gator was ejected for spitting. Basically being you just don't do it in football, and when you do it, the other guy wants to meet you at the locker room after the game kind of thing. Yep. But I, I've been around this for a while. I don't recall a, a spitting. It seems like maybe against NC State like a decade ago, there might have been accusations of it, but I might be remembering wrong. But your general thought on that one first, and the officials just jumped on. Nobody for Florida argued. They're like, oh, yeah, he did it. He's done. <laughs> well, uh, to his credit, Coach Napier said in his halftime interview that that was unacceptable. You know, we just don't do that. He didn't try to make any excuse for it. Because, yeah, you're right. The other one? And it was, it was not called. I don't know if you saw it, but the other one was when you go after the punter. And they did that one time, too. Did they? Yep. I missed that one, but I was going to ask you about the, the, hit, the hit on tape. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because I thought we might break new ground from an ACC officiating standpoint. <clears throat> I thought they might ring two guys up for targeting on the same play. But <laughs> – but, General thoughts on that. I mean, it was, yeah, he slid late, but that doesn't mean two guys get to lower their, their shoulders and helmet and go right after his head. You, you know, you just pull off. I mean, you just pull off. You can do that. It's physically something that can be done. And if you don't pull off, that means you're being intentional and you're playing dirty. I guess my bigger point, Keith, it's just dumb football. Take yep. take yep. health out of it. That yep. was a possession snap that kept the drive alive. And not one, but two guys made that mistake that would have drawn a if, – if only one of them was there, it still was going to be a flag. What I was also impressed with is there was a lot of jawing and a lot of slapping face mask and putting a, putting a, a hand up against a shoulder and pushing people off. And those are situations where on either side, 
you can lose your control and retaliate. And we all have always said they, they catch the second guy. They never catch the first guy. And I thought Florida State did a really good job of uh, restraint because uh, it would have not been acceptable, but you would have just scratched your head and said, I understand, because FSU could have gotten three or four or five unsportsmanlike uh, in retaliation to what was initiated by the Florida Gator player in that in any given situation, my opinion. No, I agree. And I think that's a marked difference from two years ago when Florida State was there and there was pregame scrum, if you will, and FSU lost its composure with the younger team. Now you have a bunch of mature guys, and they didn't get into it. Miami did the same thing. Miami tried to bait FSU all game long when they were up in Tallahassee, and Florida State didn't fall for it and draw a 15-yarder. Didn't do it yesterday either. They've, they've learned to just point at the scoreboard after the fact. That's Well, now I will say this, and I hope I don't have the wrong person, but was it, was it Green that had the really good stick on the, on the freshman wide receiver yes. or whatever. Yeah, it was, it was Renardo Green. Well, Renardo, if you're listening, you can't do that crap. Make the tackle, get up, and walk away. He, he, he stayed over him, stayed on him, walked across him. He did all the things that, that, a, that a rogue player does, and he just can't – Renardo, you just can't do that. That's not acceptable. Make the play – and then let everybody talk about it in the film room. Public service announcement courtesy of Keith Jones. The other dumb play that Florida made was on one of the punts where they were blocking Ja'Kai Douglas five yards out of bounds, and that cost him 15 yards of field position. It so there were, just, there were just several times in that game where you looked at it and thought, well, that's, that's just not a smart play. Not a smart play, and it, and it hurt Florida. That it did. That it did. All right, Keith. Are we done with this? What else would you like to talk about? Well, what I want to talk about uh, for the last time in the regular season is uh, uh, the play of the game, uh, the uh, occurrence of the game, the what went right in the game. And, and I'm going to do it a little different this time, too. And, of course, this, uh, this segment of our program is brought to us by uh, Primary and Bank, longtime sponsor of the program. Uh, but I'm going to salute – that touchdown drive, that 90-yard touchdown drive uh, at the end of the second half. To me, that was the turning point of the ball game. I, I think it'll end up being a turning point in terms of the offensive players' confidence in Tate. I think it'll end up being a turning point in Coach Norvell and Coach Atkins and how they put the game plan together and the plays that they call during the game. Uh, but that, that period of time, that drive is what solidified Florida State's undefeated season, in my opinion. And uh, it, was just, it was just great. And speaking of great, uh, go visit our friends at Prime Meridian Bank. As I've mentioned over and over and over again, two locations in Tallahassee, one down in Crawfordville, location in Lakeland, uh, business accounts, personal accounts, home loans, home equity lines. Um, these are the folks you want to talk to. Uh, they, they perform every day. Uh, they don't wait till three or four minutes left in the second half. They do it every day. Uh, go by and tell them that uh, Tom and Keith sent you. Visit Prime Meridian Bank at uh, trymybank.com. And I haven't said it much because I get in trouble uh, every time. But when you walk in, uh, just ask them for, for a cookie. Uh, those cookies are pretty remarkable. They'll offer, but in, in, just in case that uh, they don't get your attention real quick, you ask for one and then uh, let us know how that goes. Prime Meridian Bank. 
All right, KJ, well done. We could continue to talk about this game because I never get tired of winning in Gainesville. Uh, my personal record there is now seven and nine for FSU Florida games. I, I tallied it up, Keith. My, you know what my response is, Tommy. My, my group was the first group to never lose to them. And uh, I've, I've got a ratted out old T-shirt that's still in a lower left-hand drawer of the bureau. I can't even get in the shirt, and it probably would rip if I attempted it. But uh, the Jacksonville Booster Group over in Jacksonville gave all of us a T-shirt, and it simply says, I never lost to the Gators. How about the uh, the shirts the team was wearing uh, before the game about finish for 13, by the way? I thought that was pretty cool, too. Whole I team did not was see that. those, Tommy. I apologize. I did not. I was not aware of that. I'm glad you, glad you brought that up. Yeah, yeah. That was what the whole team – maybe it's what they were wearing under their pads, but they were all wearing it pregame before they came out in uniforms. They all had shirts that said finish for 13. And uh, as, a, as a side note, you know, and Jared Burst was the first one <clears throat> I heard say it. Uh, somebody asked him this week about, you know, doing it for Jordan, and he corrected and clarified and said, we're doing it with Jordan. He's still here at practice. He's at the game. And I thought that was an interesting distinction and a way to look at that. Uh, you know, the guy is still there and still part of the program. And it was just it was just a cool night all the way around. Well, Tommy, I will, I will mention this. Um, I don't know if you're aware of it. Uh, Coach Norvell uh, brought it up uh, unsolicited in his postgame comments. But, um, you know, this, this staff is pretty high tech. I mean, they put together a lot of motivational type things, tapes and, and uh, those types of things, videos. Uh, and the video that they showed, I believe, Friday night at the team hotel, that particular video was actually narrated by Jordan Travis. Is that right? Yep. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I'd love to see that. But, I don't know that you'll ever get the opportunity, and I don't know that it would be appropriate that the public did see it. Yeah, might, no, I, I know. might be something that stays internal. I totally understand that. I was just commenting that I'd like to see it, but that may not happen. I'm aware, yeah. Um, all in all, you know, it wasn't the prettiest effort. I, I like what you said before. We won't talk about the playoff. We'll, we'll just react to it on our Wednesday show, Keith. Is what it is. They're unbeaten. They beat Florida and Miami. They're state champs again. And got a chance to go to Charlotte and uh, win an ACC championship on Saturday. Well, let me tell you something that's been true since uh, a long, long, long time. And I'll just give Coach Bowden credit for it. Uh, you cannot talk about a national championship unless you win the state championship. Yep, that's been true for a long time. So step one's down. Let's see what happens. <laughs> All right, Keith, are we finished? We are finished. All right. As always, thanks for tuning in, folks. Till uh, we talk to you again in the middle of the week, Keith, Keith, I'm Tom, and this is Front Row Knowles.